You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Wonderful. Thank you so much, musicians. Well, it's my privilege and pleasure this morning to bring us the third in our series on building community. And if you want a title for this morning, then the title this morning is Christ-Centered Community. Christ-Centered Community. We've been talking, haven't we, these three weeks about building community. Now, since the age of 15, one way or another, I've been involved in building community with other Christians, meeting regularly with others, with Jesus in the middle. I have seen so many encouragements, my own growth and seeing other people grow, journeying with others through joy and pain, through promotion and limitation, praying together and rejoicing at seeing God's answer in someone else's life that I've been part of. The bittersweetness of the closeness that comes when you journey with someone through their pain. It doesn't sound like a great idea, but the closeness that comes in those seasons is precious. The holy moments when people have shared things they've dared not tell anyone before, things they've done and things done to them, and being part of their journey of them stepping into freedom to find healing and forgiveness and whatever else they need. The joy of helping meet people's needs and receiving help when I have needed it. My favourite memory is when I was part of a group in Nottingham. It was a biggish group of young adults and there was a lady in the group, I'm going to call her Tracy. She was a single mum and she had two children. The children were loved by the group. She was loved by the group. She'd had a fairly broken past. And it came to our attention that because of some issues with her work, she was falling behind with her rent and she was getting into debt. And it was a pressure and it was a problem to her. And the response of the group was, we want to help. And so people came and they gave their money to me so that we could give it to Tracy. And amazingly, with everyone just chipping in what they could, no one was pressured, but we had enough to cover her debt. And I had the incredible joy of going and knocking on her door with an envelope in my hand because she didn't know anything of what had been going on and saying, Tracy, somebody told me that you've got into a bit of bother with your rent and The group want to know, I hope you don't mind that we've told the group, they want you to know that you're loved, that they're with you, that you're not on your own in this. And so here's something for you. And to watch her open the envelope and count the money, to see the look on her face, shock, then joy, then disbelief, then being overwhelmed and then just being elated, realizing that she wasn't alone and the group was standing with her and a debt was paid. I've got to tell you, in all of my life and in all of my leadership, I think that was the best errand I've ever been sent on. Being a messenger of Christ-centered community is just the best errand ever. And so it's a great joy and delight this morning to talk about Christ-centered community. And if you'll turn with me, we're going to start in John chapter 17, and we're going to read verses 20 to 23. This is where Pastor Martin began us in the series in week one, The Prayer of Jesus. In fact, it's got the title in my Bible, Jesus prays for all believers. My prayer, he says, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you're in me and I am in you, may they also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. Jesus' prayer for all who would believe. And here he is, he's saying, Lord, Father, may they be one. Father, just as I'm in you, can they be in us? May they be in us. Wow. And John sees fit to record this as the last thing that Jesus does before going to the cross. He's about to go to the cross, and this is what he's praying for. This is what is on his heart, that we would be one. When we began two weeks ago in this series on building community, Martin took us back to Genesis 1 to 3 and showed us that man was designed for community. That man and woman together will be able to become one flesh, made in the image of God, the one who is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. He made them male and female in his image, able to be one. We were reminded that this oneness, this community togetherness, it was utterly ruined and deformed by sin when Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden, that relationship was marred by blame. They began hiding from each other in shame. Their oneness was divided with the arrival of rank and hierarchy. And ever since, you don't need me to tell you this morning, the world even now, it's damaged. That sin has been damaging community and relationships ever since. That anger hurts people. Pride belittles people. Lust uses people. Deceit mocks people. Sin always, always kills relationships. Sin didn't just damage our relationship with God, but also our relationships with each other. And so Jonathan shared with us last week that when we were redeemed and saved by Jesus and his death on the cross, it was not just to restore us into our relationship with God, although it did that, but we were redeemed for community with each other, that our fellowship, our closeness, our together, our oneness would also be redeemed and made right. And it could be so because sin was dealt with at the cross. It's power broken, it's debt paid. So we don't need to hide and pretend anymore. We can afford to take our masks off and let others know what's really going on. We've been empowered to change so we can actually take responsibility for what's really going on. Not make excuses, but know that with Holy Spirit's help, things can be different. We don't need to blame others. And we don't need to wrestle for position in hierarchy or live in the insecurity of feeling we should be more than we are because the king of kings, the creator of everything, has already come and given himself for us, paid the highest price. And because Holy Spirit has been poured out, we've been enabled to build community. This community oneness, it was formed at the beginning, deformed with man's rebellion and on the cross, not just reformed, but amazingly transformed. In fact, what was given, it's not just been restored so that we can again be able to find oneness in earthly marriage, should that be our experience in this life. But something way, way greater has been opened up for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. This Christ-centered community, this oneness, togetherness, this unity that's being spoken of is not a oneness of the flesh, but a oneness of the spirit. 
It's not for us restricted to enjoy with one person, but with all who believe. Not relating to a human spouse, but an invitation to be part of a community with Christ at the center that will be his bride. The bride of Christ when he returns, which he will surely do. And so here we have the prayer of Jesus, praying that we would be one. He says, may they be in us. He desires that we would enter in and join into the community of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, who have dwelt together in eternity past in perfect community, in perfect oneness, honoring one another, glorifying one another, serving each other's will. An unbroken togetherness that we can only imagine although we do get to taste it. Jesus prays that we would join in with this community, that we would be in them, that we would join the divine circle, if you like. I don't pretend to understand the mystery of the Trinity or the mystery of us being invited into, but I see it in scripture, and so I bring it before us this morning. John Ortberg, in his book, Everyone's Normal, Till You Get to Know Them, he makes this observation. He says, when Jesus prays for us to be invited into the divine circle, it's not a casual request. There is an enormous price to be paid for our admittance. The son will go to the cross and be forsaken. The father will see his beloved suffer anguish and alienation in sin. The spirit will come to earth and will allow himself to be quenched and grieved by human beings. At enormous cost to every member of the Trinity, you and I have been welcomed to the eternal circle, to be held in the heart of Father, Son, and Spirit. With that as a backdrop, imagine then the joy of Jesus in Acts. We read of it in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit has been poured out, and the new community of believers is just beginning And what happened was there was a oneness, a fellowship, a togetherness that was evident as the church was born. We read of it in Acts chapter 2. We're going to put those verses there up there already. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. We read of this first Christ-centered community. Let me read a few headlines. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Imagine Jesus. He's been to the cross. He's ascended into heaven. The spirit has been poured out. He prayed this prayer, Lord, Father, may they be one. And now he sees the church in infancy. It's just begun. And there it is. They're being one. They're together. They're gathering. They're connecting. The very first Christ-centered community. True, the disciples had walked with Jesus. But even they needed Jesus to go to the cross for them, for them to receive the spirit of God in them, the spirit of unity as he is referred to in the Bible. To truly know this togetherness, the oneness that is spoken of, this koinonia that's translated as fellowship in these verses, they needed the unity of the spirit in them. The Holy Spirit poured out to connect them and join them together into the Trinity. So here they are, Christ in the middle, 
reminded of him by their teachings brought by the apostles, by praying to him, by breaking bread and remembering his death like they were told they should do. They were sharing their possessions as they needed, eating together. There was joy and there was honesty in the middle of them. That's how I translate glad and sincere hearts. And it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The first Christ-centered community drew others daily to Christ. Wow. And what a joy to Jesus to see the answer of his prayer. See, Jesus came to begin the bringing of his kingdom. And the plan has always been that the church would carry it on. Jesus taught us to pray kingdom come, but that wasn't his prayer. He came to bring the kingdom, but then he's empowered the church to do that job. His prayer was that we would be one, that the church would gather, that the church would connect, that the church would be one. And as Martin said in week one, the church can only bring the kingdom of God when it functions as Christ-centered community. Oneness with each other and with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christ-centered community is critical to God's plan for the church. We cannot bring the kingdom without it. So the question comes to us this morning as followers of Jesus. The question comes as those wanting to bring the kingdom of God. Have we entered into Christ-centered community? Or are we standing on the edge somehow with an open door peering in? As as a little girl, I used to be put to bed and then because I knew my mum would go downstairs and watch some telly, but her back would be to the lounge door, which would normally be left ajar, I would creep out of bed, slip down the stairs, and just loiter outside the door. And through a little gap, I could keep up with everything that was going on in Coronation Street. (laughs) Very edifying, I'm sure. But I never went in. Just stood just outside the door, just enough to see. Sometimes not the whole screen, but just enough for me. And some of us, we can be like this with Christ-centered community. We position ourselves so we can just get enough view, but we don't actually go into the rooms. There can be reasons, reasons why we're holding back. Some of us, we're proud. We don't think we need other people, or we want to choose who we meet with, or we want to have some control over the situation. Some of us, maybe we're afraid, maybe we've been hurt before. Of course we've been hurt before, we've been in the world. But the Holy Spirit in us gives us grace to forgive and also comes to heal where we've been hurt. Maybe you say, well, look, I'm an introvert. I don't need other people. I prefer to watch and listen. Well, I get that. I fall on the introvert side of the scale too. But come in and watch and listen. Don't stay outside and watch and listen. You see, we all need Christ-centered community. Jesus' prayer was that all, it was for all who would believe. Now, if you're here this morning and you believe, that means his prayer was for you. And if you're here this morning and actually you're on a journey to believing, well, he prayed for all who would believe, so his prayer was for you too. So pretty much for all of us in the room this morning, this prayer was for you, that we would be one, all of us. We've all been invited into Christ-centered community. I believe that all of us need Christ-centered community for us to grow, a place where there's fellowship, close association with others, not just being with others who are Christians because they get us, and they don't think we're making weird decisions, but actually journeying with others who will gather with the intention of having Jesus in the middle. There's going to be a context. We want to remind each other of what the word of God says, of what truth is. We, it's, we are going to pray together. We're going to remember what Jesus has done. And of course, we might also meet to eat sometimes. We might want to go to the cinema. We might want to go for a walk. All those things are still good. 
but we have relationships where there's an intention to have Jesus in the middle. See, we're all designed and redeemed for Christ-centered community. We're all called to be in Christ-centered community, to journey with others, with Jesus in the middle. A place to use Bill Hybel's definition from Willow Creek. He says, a place where we can know and be known. A place where we can love and be loved. A place where we can serve and be served. A place where we can celebrate and be celebrated. When we come into Christ-centered community like this, then I think three things happen. I think Jesus Christ gets seen. Jesus Christ gets formed in us. And Jesus Christ gets ministered to one another. And I'm going to speak about those three areas this morning. See, for most of us, we first came to see Jesus Christ and to have a revelation of him when someone else got close enough to us to allow us to see him in them. Is that right? Now, of course, there's exceptions to this. Occasionally, people have visions or dreams or something else which begins them on their journey. But for most of us, Jesus Christ gets seen by someone for the first time because someone else who knows him gets close enough and is open enough to let him be seen in their life. Maybe by the things they say, or maybe by the things they don't say. Maybe by the way they behave or their attitude. Maybe it's because they openly talk about their walk with Jesus Christ or their faith in him. Maybe they invite him to be part of their Christ-centered community. Maybe they bring him to church on a Sunday, not afraid of what that will do to the relationship, but willing to let someone else see, this is what really goes on in my life. They let others in, they let them taste, they let them see. They let others come close enough to come to the door of the Trinity and peep in. And that's when many people, where most of us get our first glimpse of Jesus. When someone allows us to come close enough as an individual or close enough to a group to see what is real and genuine in someone else's life of Jesus being walked with, being lived with. Jesus can be seen. In my own journey, when I was in about year 10, probably about 15 years old, I'd grown up in a Christian family and had some beliefs, but I was at the stage of really needing to see Jesus for myself. You know, your faith, the faith of your parents isn't enough for you to go through life on. And through your teenage years, you have to work out for yourself if it's real. If you believe it, you need to see Jesus for yourself. And in that season at school, there wasn't, hadn't been a Christian union or anything like that, but some girls a few years older than me had begun something. It wasn't spectacular. They just began a daily gathering to pray. Four days out of five, 10 minutes before the start of school, they got permission to use a room and somehow word got round and we began to gather. It began at about 15, it grew to about 20 and then 30 and then 40. And what used to happen, we used to pile off the bus Those who were going would go and find the room. We'd talk, see if there was anything people needed prayer for, and we'd pray. We'd pray for one another. We often prayed about the conflict in Bosnia because that was in the news at the time, and we didn't really know what we were doing, so we were just trying to find anything to pray about. They weren't particularly dynamic times. I can't say the power of God ever fell in the room. In many ways, there was nothing extraordinary to note except that a group of young people had chosen to form a Christ-centered community, to gather daily with Jesus in the middle. And I can't explain exactly how or exactly at what point 
But in the course of that season, I saw Jesus Christ for myself. I found him there as we welcomed him to be in our midst. As I stepped into Christ-centered community, it wasn't about one particular person, it was about the meeting together and something of Jesus being seen in the middle of it. The door was opened and I was able to step into the Trinity and meet Jesus for myself firsthand. There were many ordinary mornings, but they translated into a life-changing season in my life. In Christ-centered community, I saw Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. See, in Christ-centered community, Jesus Christ is seen. Matthew eighteen twenty. some familiar verses to many of us, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Yet it's given in a context of the need for relational health, of us treating community and protecting it by, when we're offended, going to the person who offended us, not taking it to anyone else or talking to anyone else. But he says, where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Jesus has promised to inhabit the place in our lives where we meet together, not just to inhabit us as individuals, which he does, but our meeting, our community, our gathering, our oneness. He says, I'll always be there. Also, the Apostle Paul, he writes in Ephesians 2.22, he says, we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He inhabits our gathering. He looks for it. He comes to it. It's why in Jesus, in Christ-centered community, Jesus Christ is seen. Pete Grieg, the founder of 24-7 Prayer, tells his own story of Jesus Christ being seen in community. He says this, As a teenager, I began gathering my friends to pray. We wanted to find out for ourselves whether Christianity was true. If it was just a list of rules, there were much better things we could all be doing with our teenage years than attending a respectable Anglican church in the suburbs. Feeling this way and secretly wanting it all to be true because I respected my parents' faith deeply, I gathered my friends in a large shed in my mother's back garden and proposed an experiment. We would meet there every Wednesday night to try and make God turn up. If he obliged, if he came, he could have us. That was the deal. But if he stayed away, we all knew we had some pretty wild parties we could attend instead. Friends from school and the church youth group began to meet in our shed on Wednesday nights. We sang songs with guitars out of tune again and again. We found an old book of earnest Christian poetry and read these to each other as meaningfully as we could. I think we tried having communion once or twice. We chatted to God about things and looked for the good bits in the Bible. We really didn't have a clue what to do. None of us knew anything about the Holy Spirit. We just did anything, most of it toe-curlingly embarrassing, to see if we could somehow attract God's attention. It was truly terrible. Half of it was probably heretical. But then one day, the Holy Spirit turned up and started to do amazing things. Someone received a vision. He saw a sword with the word envy written on its blade. I can still remember it because I'd never known anyone receive a vision before and because it was a personal challenge to me. The living God had just spoken to me directly. My friend Steve and I prayed for a girl who suddenly started shaking like she was being electrocuted on an invisible bouncy castle. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. Steve and I prayed all our very best prayers, but eventually we couldn't think of anything else to say. The girl just continued shaking like a jelly. Unsure what to do, we went and got chalk ices and sat there eating them while our friend shook. We'd clearly found some kind of on switch, but we didn't have a clue how to switch her off. I started to worry that she might shake like this for the rest of her life. 
At last she calmed down, stopped trembling and whispered, wow. Then with a big grin, she said that God had never before felt quite so real or close. Word got out, young people started to come from all over the area. A guy we shall call Mark turned up because he liked a girl called Becky. He wasn't a Christian, but probably quite liked the idea of being squashed in a shed with her for the evening. We started worshipping as usual, and the Holy Spirit started doing his thing. But suddenly Mark manoeuvred his way out of the shed. He couldn't get out fast enough. I followed him, and we sat on the concrete step outside. What's up, I asked. He was as pale as a sheet. God's in there, he whispered. Yeah, I said, wherever two or three gather in the name of Jesus, Mark cut me off. Don't quote any of your stupid Bible verses, he hissed. Pete, you don't seem to understand God as in Mr. Creator of the universe. God is in your shed. And the thing is, and he paused and looked at me intently, the thing is, if I go back in there, I'm going to have to sort out some stuff which I really don't want to talk about. Mark never did set foot back inside my mother's shed. Even Becky couldn't lure him back inside. He had experienced God's holiness in a way that challenged him to change. See, when we meet together with Jesus Christ in the middle, then Jesus Christ is seen. You may be here this morning and think you don't need this because you've already seen Jesus. But the question becomes, who will you help to see Jesus by letting them join you in Christ-centered community? Who will you allow enough to see of the real you and your relationship with God that they might see Jesus for themselves? Because in Christ-centered community, Jesus gets seen. Secondly, Jesus Christ is formed in us when we are in Christ-centered community. You know, we're all invited into this Christ-centered community. As Jonathan highlighted last week, when we come, there is acceptance. We can come just as we are. We don't have to hide We don't have to pretend. We can come as we are. We don't have to wait to sort our rubbish out first and then come to God. We come as we are, but we're not meant to stay as we are. Like Mark in the story we've just read, when we begin to see Jesus and encounter him, we become aware that there are some things in us that need dealing with. We may or may not want to talk about them. We're called to change bit by bit to become more like Jesus. Romans 8 says that God has chosen us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That means to be made like Jesus, for Jesus to be formed in us. That in you and me, bit by bit, we're meant to be becoming more like Jesus in our heart, in our attitude, in how we think. And in Christ-centered community, Christ is formed in us. When we gather with other Christians regularly, with Jesus at the center, it grows us in God. This week, it's been so wonderful to pray as a church with different people getting on board with prayer and fasting for the first time, coming to pray. It's been such a sense of togetherness. Uh, It has been very precious. But also some people have grown. We met together on Wednesday specifically to pray in the Spirit. Three people came who didn't yet know how to pray in tongues, weren't able to. And through the course of the evening, they began speaking in tongues. We met together as community to seek God. And what happened Some people grew and took some steps. And whenever we meet together with Jesus in the middle, we learn from one another and we grow in God. Christ is formed in us. For a number of years in Nottingham, I was in a life group, an expression of Christ-centered community led by some people who became good friends, Justin and Paula. Now those who are close to me would know that one of the things I'm quietly passionate about is fair trade produce. 
I tried to buy produce that's been fairly traded, where I know that workers have been paid properly for the work that they've done. They've not been taken advantage of or oppressed. And I have a conviction that God is bothered about this, that injustice and oppression are things that are abhorrent to him. And that part of me becoming like Christ is to share his heart in this matter. Now, yet I understand that sometimes the coffee doesn't taste so good. Although if you shop around, you can find the fair trade coffee that does taste very good. And I understand that sometimes there's some compromise because it costs more. I get all of that. But I have a deep conviction in my heart on this matter. Why tell you about this now? Well, you see, I've never been to a conference on this. I've never heard anyone speak on it in church. I've never done any personal study about it. But Justin and Paula, my life group leaders, carried a godly passion for trade justice. And they didn't go on about it all the time, but it was just part of who they were. And so as we journeyed and met together and talked and shared over a number of years, their godly passion became my passion. The things that they'd found already of the heart of God impacted me, began to change me and grew me and begin in just another small way to form Christ in me. It's when we journey with others that we grow and Christ is formed in us. Chris Hodges, who's the senior pastor of Church of the Highlands in Alabama, one of the fastest growing churches in the US, they have about 42,000 people meeting in life groups every week, which is uh, something to get your head around in and of itself. I heard him speak earlier this year and he said, we, ro- we learn in rows, but we grow in groups. We learn in rows, but we grow in groups. That all real life change happens in the context of relationships. Yes, we can come to church and we can encounter the presence of God and that does impact us deeply and profoundly. Yes, we can hear a message and we may even revisit our notes from it and we may even take some of it on board and change. But real, true, lasting life change happens in the context of relationships, interactive relationships. He says to know God requires intimacy. The first enemy of intimacy is dishonesty pretending. So we all must have a context where we can be real, where we can take the mask off, where we can dare to say how it really is. We all need a place of Christ-centered community. You know, part of opening up to others is connected to our opening up to God. When we're truly honest in front of others, not everybody, but somebody, often we can be truly honest before God. And quite often one doesn't happen without the other. The disciple John calls this walking in the light, bringing the stuff of our lives out from where it's been hidden and where it has power in our lives. He writes in 1 John 1, 6 and 7, he writes, if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You know, there's been times in my life where I've only dealt with issues properly with God. When I've dared to be honest with another person about the state of my heart. Sometimes I've initiated that journey. Sometimes someone else has. Sometimes God has with a prophetic word. But it's needed someone else to help me truly deal with my sin before God. You know, we, we need other people to help us to keep right with God, to keep light in our lives by knowing that someone is seeing, not so they can judge us, but to help us to be honest and to be real so we can have fellowship, 
so we can have oneness, so that we know there's others journeying with us in what we struggle. Real community where we can be made clean by the blood of Jesus and know that others will work with us through our issues, through our pain. But the two go together, being honest to God and being honest to someone else. This is why we need Christ-centered community for Christ to be formed in us. John Ortberg writes this. He says, maybe you've been carrying a secret for years and you try not to think about it, but it's always there. And it keeps you from ever fully experiencing love. And even when someone tells you that they love you, you say to yourself, yeah, but you don't know the whole truth about me. And you might not say these things if you really knew. This is why knowing and being known go to the core of our life. Because you cannot be fully loved if you're not fully known. You can only be loved to the extent that you're known. You can only be completely loved if you're completely known. It's only when we're real with others about what's going on in our lives, the things that we struggle with, that we really move forward and grow. That's when Christ is formed in us, when we allow others to see, others who'll journey with us. And in Christ-centered community, Christ is formed in us. Finally, thirdly, in Christ-centered community, Christ is ministered. Christ is ministered. You know, in CLM, life groups are our main form of Christ-centered community. It's the primary way for us to care for one another as church. You know, most often when we go through some tough seasons or these difficult situations, we don't need a specialist to help us. We don't need a pastor. We don't need a counselor, although sometimes we do need those things. Most often in our lives, what we need is community. We need someone who's going to stand with us. We need someone who we're in close association with, who we've got a oneness with, who's going to listen to us and know us, who's going to stand in the tough season and love us and serve us, who's going to pray with us and stand with us, others who'll journey with us, who'll weep with us and celebrate with us. Most often, this is what we need. Those who, when we speak and talk a bit of nonsense like we do sometimes, will gently remind us of God's truth, who aren't afraid to say, let's... Let's look at the word together. Let's see what the Lord would say. This is what life groups are for. They're places for Christ-centered community, places where Christ can be ministered through us to one another, places where we can know and love and serve and celebrate one another. Now, I can't count the number of times in my life that a life group or some similar sort of setting has provided me with someone who has encouraged me and strengthened me, shown me a scripture that I didn't know before, that has then given me life and strength to journey through something. The times when people have stood with me in prayer, when I've been journeying something and I've gone and others have stood with me and prayed and then texted me in the week and said, I'm praying for you. How is that going? Wow. People have loved me and accepted me. People who, when my children were tiny, cooked meals because frankly, that was what I most needed from anyone in the world. So many occasions when Christ was ministered to me through others in Christ-centered community that I have been part of. They were ordinary people in ordinary homes ministering Jesus Christ to me. I've got to say that in all the Christ-centered community settings I've been in, there have been few truly memorable evenings in terms of the power of God or a tangible presence of God, although he has been there. But the regular meeting with Christ in the center has meant that when I've needed Christ, he's been ministered to me. 
On one occasion we met in a group in our home and I was pregnant with Nathan. Nathan's our second son, so I'd already been through one pregnancy and birth. And the time to give birth to Nathan was nearly there. It was fairly imminent. And so the group gathered around me to pray. Now what I hadn't told anybody else was that I was really scared about giving birth. You see, the first time we'd gone through it, mother and child had come through alive, but it hadn't been without trauma. You really don't need any more detail this morning. That's not going to help any of us. But suffice to say, it had been bad. And I was scared. I was so afraid of going there again. But I hadn't uttered it because it seemed silly. So you just have to get on with it, don't you? (laughs) You do. You really do. There isn't any other way. But in that moment, this little group began to pray for me. And there was a guy called John, an ordinary guy. He was a teacher. And he just began to pray for me. And he began to pray, but then he began to speak and he began to prophesy. He said, do not be afraid. And I just knew when he started to say it, it wasn't just John speaking. It was the Lord speaking to me. He was prophesying that the Lord had shown him what was in my heart. He said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm going to be with you. You don't need to be afraid. Ordinary man, ordinary John, ministered Christ to me. I hadn't told anybody but in Christ-centered community, my needs were heard and met. And something shifted within me in my heart and my emotions. And the second time proved to be considerably better than the first. <laughs> See, Christ-centered community is the primary place where we can minister to one another, to encourage and comfort and strengthen one another. And we all need that. To use the gifts that we've been given. It's a place that we can step out in using the gifts of the Spirit. We can have a go at facilitating a Bible study and bringing things out of the Word of God, at sharing something we feel God might be saying. You know, there's many people sitting here this morning, and you have gifts of grace to minister Christ to others, but they need a context of Christ centered community to be released and nurtured and used. The truth is, for me, I'm here this morning preaching, and don't worry, I'm nearly done. But 12 years ago, I was in a life group, just opening the word with six people. And things get nurtured in that setting. My life group leader was kind enough to affirm me, to ask me to do it again, to encourage that there was a gifting there. See, our gifts need to be nurtured and used in Christ-centered community to serve others, to minister Christ to others. It's what they're for. And in Christ-centered community, in life groups or similar settings, they make room for Christ to be ministered. In Christ-centered community, Jesus Christ is seen. He's formed in us. He's ministered to one another. So I want to ask us this morning, where are you at with Christ-centered community? Are you in a life group? Do you have a context for Christ-centered community? Will you join Christ-centered community? Will you join a place where you can belong and get to know others, to journey with them with Jesus in the middle? Maybe you say, well, look, I've got a group of friends and we're all Christians and we're all on the same page and this is working for us. I'm going to say, will you be inclusive? Can others join that? Because if the answer's no, then I want to say, be careful because we've been invited into the Trinity and the door to the Trinity is open and I don't think we've been given the right to step in and close the door behind us if you're in a group already please go every week 
be devoted, be devoted to fellowship. If you're a lady and you're here, come to Elevate. We're seeking to make Elevate a place where we can enjoy Christ-centered community among women. Not in a pressured way, but just enjoying getting to know one another and know what's really going on so we can stand with one another. Come to Synergy. Come to Young Adult Life Nights. Come to Toddle Tots. Whatever context you can find where you could connect with others, come. Come to pray when we have prayer meetings. It's a great way of connecting in the Spirit. And if you really can't make any of those things because of your schedule, well, ask two other people to join a prayer triplet with you and meet with them regularly and welcome Jesus into the middle of that. But don't do nothing. Don't do nothing, friends, if you're not in Christ-centered community. Join with Christ-centered community. The prayer of Jesus himself where we began today, he said, may they be one. May they be one. May they be in us. And it cost the Father and the Son and the Spirit dearly to open up Christ-centered community to us. There's many places in the world where followers of Jesus are persecuted and men and women risk their lives to meet together for the preciousness of gathering together where there are other believers in Christ so that Christ is in the middle of them. Places where they might see Jesus, where they might have Jesus formed in them and Jesus might be ministered one to another. But somehow, here where we're free, community can be readily available, but sometimes we can undervalue it. We can ignore it. We can put it off. We can miss it. But friends, if we do so, we miss the heart of Jesus Christ, the focus of his prayer, that we would be one really practically this morning you might want to respond by just doing something about getting in a life group we've got a sign up area over by the window over there Jonathan will be there with some with a group so there's numbers of people who can take some information from you if you want to get in a group if you think that the times that they meet might be difficult go anyway we're always trying to find new ways of making uh, opportunities to connect that are available we're aware there's different schedules across the body don't let that put you off Go and have a conversation today. Make a step towards Christ-centered community. But as we finish, I want to give us a moment for heart response to what the Lord is calling us to. For many of us, there can be obstacles in our hearts to really giving ourselves to one another. Pride, fear, hurt, past experience. I want to encourage us this morning to invite Holy Spirit to deal with those things in our hearts. That we would say, Lord, I want to see this how you see it. I want to have a heart that is responsive to you and will walk in everything that you have for me. I want to be part of the answer to Jesus' prayer this morning. I trust that you do too. I'm going to encourage us just to bow our heads and to pray for a moment this morning. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come in this place. We invite you to search our hearts. And there can be all kinds of things that stop us coming close to one another. But we invite you in, Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit, where there's hurt and pain, will you come and heal? Where there's unforgiveness, will you come with your grace and enable us to forgive? Where there's pride, would you help us to see it for what it is, Holy Spirit? And refuse to let it limit us and to put it down. Whatever other reason or excuse we might find in our heart, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come and work in us. Change our hearts. And we welcome you to bring into us the unity of the Spirit. We ask you to connect us one to another, to put a deep love in our hearts for one another. That we would desire to journey together. We would desire to minister you to one another. We would desire the best for one another. Come and have your way in us. Come and bring your kingdom in us that we might be the church you've called us to be. That we might be bringers of your kingdom as we live as a Christ-centered community, showing you, becoming like you, and ministering you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.